0: Hey, greetings, church family. It's great to welcome you today through our online campus. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and go with me to Romans chapter 12 because uh, today, after a one-week break uh, last week for a special guest speaker, Jeff Vines, I hope you were able to worship with us last weekend. I thought Jeff had a tremendous message. But after a one-week break, we're gonna rejoin this special study called The Look of Love, which is really just a verse-by-verse journey through this incredible passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And what we're going to do today is take the second step in that journey uh, with a message called All in the Family. As I told you a couple of weeks ago when we began, more than anything else, this passage of Scripture shows us what love is supposed to look like in the lives of ordinary believers like you and me. And this is critical for many reasons. Let me just mention a couple by way of introduction. First, it's critical because of what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 35. He was with his disciples and he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so the point that Jesus is making is clear. Our love for one another is the living, breathing testimony to the reality of our faith. A second reason why this is important is because of what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8. He wrote, whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And once again, we see the reality of our faith connected to the reality of our love, but there's even more to it than that. When it comes to our lives of faith, there are many practical implications to understanding the truth that God is love. And one of them would be That because God is love, he wants us as his children to learn how to love. That means he wants us to learn how to love everyone because God loves everyone. In Ephesians chapter 5, in the first couple of verses, Paul writes and says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Now, don't you find it interesting that when Paul gives the instruction to be an imitator of God, and with all of the things he could have referenced about God... He specifically says, and live a life of love. He does that because God is love. Let me try to convey how important this is on practical terms, or rather in practical terms. I'm talking about living a life that's marked by love. One of the most common questions that I've been asked over the years as a pastor is this question Pastor, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I'm a Christian? And honestly, friends, there's really only one way to answer that question, and that's this. You look at your life and you see what's there, because if you've been saved, which is to say if you've had a personal encounter with Christ where you put your faith and trust in Him, now your sins have been forgiven, you've been made new, and 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So if you've had your sin forgiven and you've been made new, then there will be genuine evidence of that in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to just immediately overnight experience some kind of spiritual perfection, but it does mean that your life will begin to change. Your thoughts will begin to change. Your attitudes will begin to change. Your actions, your conduct will begin to change. And one of the most important ways that you need to change is in the way you see and treat other people. And that takes us back to 1 John 4, 8 that says, God is love. And I'll say what I said earlier, because God is love, he wants us as his children to learn how to love. And that's why we're taking the time to study this incredible passage of scripture, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, because again, this passage shows us what love is supposed to look like in the life of a believer. So if you've got your Bibles open there to Romans chapter 12, then I want you to go ahead and follow along as I read the entire passage. We're not going to be looking at the entire passage in our time together today, but as I mentioned when we began a couple of weeks ago, each week as we study this, we're going to read this entire passage. It's not long, It's Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, down through verse 21. Follow along. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice Hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not become, or excuse me, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, there it is. We always ask that God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, the specific section of this passage we're going to talk about in our time together today is verses 10 through 13. Let me just remind you what those verses say. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. The first thing I want you to understand about this particular section of our text is that verse 10, at least the very first part of verse 10, is the foundation for everything that we're going to talk about today. That's where Paul writes these words, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now friends, this is God's will for us. It's what we might call a part of God's universal will in that it's his will for all believers. He wants all believers to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is what God expects from us as believers. This is one of the ways we live a life of love in the world where our love is demonstrated. We love our brothers and sisters first and foremost in the family of God. Uh, What I want to do to try to make this even clearer is I want to spend some time talking specifically about the words brotherly love that Paul uses there in verse 10. Uh, During our Faith and Family series, a few weeks ago, uh, and I, I even mentioned this in the introduction or the first message of this series, I talked to you about the fact that the Greeks had four separate words for love. Our guest speaker, Jeff Vines, last week even mentioned this truth in his message. Uh, there was the Greek word eros, which is a sexual love. There's the Greek word phileo, which is friendship love. These are obviously very simple definitions for the sake of time. There's the Greek word storge, which describes family love or parental love. And then there's the Greek word agape, which is God love. It's that selfless and sacrificial love that God has modeled for us over and over again. I, I, I know that I told you at the time that that Greek word eros is not found in the New Testament. Remember, that's the word for uh, romantic love or sexual love. And the reason it's not found in the New Testament, at least in my mind, is probably, probably because it had become so corrupted by the world. God created eros, or sexual love, and it's one of his greatest gifts to us, but the Bible makes it clear that sexual love uh, is to happen and be pursued exclusively between husbands and wives in the relationship of marriage, and that has become so distorted in the world that we live in today, and it's honestly, it's always been distorted, or it's been distorted for a long, long time. Now, having said that, having described or reminded you of those four different words for love, I want you to look back with me in your Bible. I hope you've got it open because we're just literally going to work our way uh, line by line through this passage. I want you to look back with me in your Bible at Romans chapter 12, verse 9, and the very first part of verse 10, because that's where Paul writes, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, and then the first part of verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In those two verses, or rather in that verse and a half, we literally see three of the four Greek words for love. In verse nine, we see the word agape. That's the word that Paul uses when he says love must be sincere. And then when we get to the first part of verse 10, we see the words phileo, that's that friendship love, and storge, that family or parental love, uh, in the statement or the words, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In fact, we see those two words, phileo and storge, twice. We see them in the word devoted, and we see them in the words brotherly love. But I just want to focus on the word devoted for a minute, because that's the word that describes what our relationships with each other are supposed to look like in the family of God. That word devoted is actually the combination of the two Greek words phileo Friendship love and storge, family or parental love. And so when you read that, when you read the first part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 that says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, you could literally read it like this. Be lovingly loving to one another in brotherly love. But while that would be accurate, it doesn't help us capture the practical meaning of what Paul is saying. Uh, again, that word devoted is the word phileo and the word storge together. The actual word in the original language is philos storgas. And more than anything else, and here's what I want you to understand, and this is something we need to hang on to in order to grasp this section of Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. More than anything else, that word philos storgas describes a natural family love. When Paul says, be devoted, be philostorgos, be lovingly loving to one another in brotherly love, he's talking about having a natural family love for one another in the family of God. And it's important to understand it like that, as a natural family love, because this is not a love that you feel for someone Uh, because of something you can gain from them in the relationship. It's not induced by beauty or personality or anything like that. More than anything else, it's just this normal, natural family love. And Paul says, this is the kind of love we're supposed to have for one another in the family of God. Now, let me try to make it even more clear by illustrating it like this. I have a nephew named Kendall. He is my sister Kimberly's oldest son. There are five kids in my family. Uh, I'm right in the middle. There's Candy, my oldest sister, Carrie, my older brother. Then there's me. Then there's Kenneth. You know Kenneth because he's been here and he's preached uh, a few times at our church. He's my younger brother. And then Kimberly is my younger sister, and she's the baby in our family. And Kendall is her oldest son. He's married to Shelby, and they live in Franklin, Tennessee. Two weeks ago, they had their first child. They had a little baby boy, and they named him Walter. I thought that was kind of an unusual name. Not an unusual name for an adult, but seemed like an unusual name for a baby. But when Kendall was a little boy, he had this favorite book series um, that he used to read, that Kimberly used to read to him, and there was a character in the book series named Walter that he really liked, and that's where that came from. Now, here's the thing. Walter came into the world with a little difficulty, and after he was born... He started having seizures. So early on, there were some very real and very serious questions about whether or not everything was all right with him. The hospital, hospital did a number of tests on him uh, in the first few days of his life, including an MRI that appeared to show some damage to a portion of his brain. There was some swelling in his brain, and there were some areas that the doctors simply called bright spots, that they said could be indicators of some level of brain damage. And on top of that, he was also battling some kind of infection. They weren't sure where the infection came from. So needless to say, just hours after his birth, there was a lot of praying that began and was going on from our family. And, you know, my family on, on my side is not that big. Again, it's, it's me and my four brothers and sisters and then my mother, of course, my parents have both died. But my mother had one brother, only one, and he's got his wife, and he had three children, and 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 their families. Only one of them is married, and that's all the rest of our family. And so immediately, when all of this started to happen, my sister Kimberly sent out a group text to all of us and began to kind of share with us everything that was going on and ask us to pray. And so we were all praying together. But here's the deal: the moment that little baby was born into our family, we loved him, period. End of story. Why? Because he was born into our family. Because he was now a part of us. I wish I had the time to show you all the group Text exchanges, all the family group text exchanges that happened from the time he was born. We loved him immediately because he was born into our family. We prayed for him immediately because he was born in our family. And no challenge or deficit or special need was ever going to change that because he was born into our natural, normal family love. Let me read one of my, just one of my sister's text messages uh, She wrote one day, one of my favorite moments was when Kendall, again, that's her oldest son, the father of the little baby. And this is something that happened right after talking to the doctor when there was still some uncertainty about Walter's health. She wrote and said, one of my favorite moments was when Kendall said, Walter is Walter. We love him more than anything. And that will never stop. That will never end. And so he was basically saying to the doctor, listen, no matter what's happened, no matter what challenges there may be, no matter what challenges he may have been born with, no matter what might be ahead of us, he's ours and we love him. That's never going to change. Well, I think everyone who's listening to me today can understand that completely. There's a natural, normal love in families, in healthy families, that can't be broken. It can't be broken. Now, the good news is the doctors ultimately determined that everything was okay with Walter. And he finally got to go home with his mom and dad. And I, I, I think we've got a picture that I'm going to show you of my sister holding him. I felt so bad for her and my brother-in-law, Mike, because, um, you know, they, they, they left and they went from Oklahoma to Tennessee to be there. But because of this stinking, stupid uh, virus... Uh, they couldn't get into the hospital, they couldn't be with him, they couldn't see him or hold him for a long time. And so I was so grateful to see that picture of her getting to hold him. Now, he's going to have to be on an anti-seizure medication for a little while, but the doctors said that everything seems to be okay. And here's, the, here's the, the point of the story. Normal, natural family love is a powerful thing. I told you before, I've told you before, and I just reminded you, I have, a, I have an older brother uh, named Kerry. He's 17 months older than I am. We shared a bedroom together our entire lives uh, all the way up until he graduated from high school. We were one grade apart in school our entire lives. And here's the deal. My brother Kerry and I, I love him, but he and I growing up, we were as different as night and day, and because of that, we fought all the time. And friends, from the time we were little even up in teenage years, and when I say we fought, I'm telling you, we fought all the time. I think I told you before that we both got suspended from high school for three days once for fighting in the school parking lot. We had a fist fight break out at the end of lunch one day in the school parking lot. We fought in the house all the time. We rolled through the living room. We broke lamps, and we broke tables. We had fights that started on the inside of the house and worked their way out To the outside, the front yard and the backyard, we literally made my mom crazy on different occasions because of fighting. But while it was okay for me to fight with my brother, at least in my mind, it was never okay for someone else to do it. While it was okay for me to say whatever I wanted to, no matter how mean it was to my brother, it was never okay for someone else to do that. And if those things happened, I would be the first one in line to defend him. Why? Because he's my brother. And we have this natural, normal family love that can't be broken. It can't. No matter what might happen relationally in the moment, it can't be broken. And this is what Paul is talking about when he writes the first part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. And he says, be devoted, be lovingly loving to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And once we get past that, we begin to really understand what love is supposed to look like in our lives. And so, as we work our way through this tremendous passage of Scripture, again, which is Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9 and going down through verse 21, the first thing we see about the look of love, that's the name of this sermon series, is that it begins with me, it begins with each of us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In other words, it, it, this love that we're supposed to have, that we're supposed to live with in our lives as. Christians, begins with us because we need to make sure that our love is sincere, that our love is real. And one of the ways that we know our love is sincere and that it's real is that we hate what is evil because sincere love doesn't love everything and we cling to what is good. That's what we talked about two weeks ago when we, when we began. Then the next step, and this is where we are today, is we are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And so while the look of love begins with us, love must be sincere, it then begins to work its way out into the world and it as it begins to work its way out into the world, it begins inside the family of God. It begins with our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is just another reminder of the importance of what Jesus said to the disciples in John 13 and verse 35. He said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he said, by this, by this love, Will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another? Again, this is the will of God for all of us. As Christians, this is the expectation of God for all of us who are Christians, who are part of the family of God. We're supposed to love one another, period, period, end of story. And once Paul establishes that in the first part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, he goes on in the latter part of verse 10 through verse 13 to show us exactly what it looks like. And friends, he mentions nine things, but I don't want you to get nervous about that. I'm going to mention each one of them, I'm going to do it really quickly with just a little bit of commentary, and then I'm going to come back to that foundational idea of this natural, normal family love that I illustrated to you just a moment ago. So look back in your Bible there, and let's just work our way through the text. So, uh, in verse 10, I mean, two weeks ago, we started in verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Love starts with us by making sure our love is real. And then verse 10, the first part, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And now we begin to see what it looks like. The first thing he mentions is honor one another above yourselves. That's what we might call Romans chapter 12, verse 10b. And what that means more than anything else, more than anything else, friends, is that our love for each other needs to be marked by humility. A humility that says, I'm going to put you first, and I think that's perhaps the greatest test of humility in the life of a believer, a willingness to put others first, and if you think about it, you can see how important this is in the family of God. You can see how important it is in a local church, in a local spiritual community. I mean, think about our church right here. We have this, uh, we have this large church filled with a lot of people, this large multi-generational church right here in Greenwood that now spills over into separate locations around the city of Indianapolis. Well, how can a large multi-generational church experience unity when you're going to have people who have so many different uh, opinions and so many different preferences and on and on and on? Well, one way is by making sure that you or that we love one another in a humble way that says, I'm going to put you first. And so, Paul says, honor one another above yourselves. That's Romans 12, verse 10b. And then we move on to Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And the first part of verse 11, what we might call A, is never be lacking in zeal. What does that mean? Well, I don't have a lot of time to go into explanation, so let me just give you this paraphrase of what that means, or maybe this uh, simple English uh, interpretation of what it means. When he says, never be lacking in zeal, He's basically saying to the believers, in regard to what you ought to be doing, don't be lazy. In regard to what you ought to be doing, don't be lazy. Well, think of it like this. He's saying when it comes to the Christian life, and that includes loving one another in the family of God, that's a big part of the Christian life. When it comes to the Christian life, don't get lazy. Don't get lazy. Don't get lazy when it comes to to what you're supposed to do as a Christian. Don't get lazy when it comes to what you're supposed to do in the Christian life, and love one another. I'm sure I've told you before that I'm not like a lot of people. I don't have what might be called a life verse that I hang on to, but I've had a ministry verse that I've, hang on, that I've hung on to for the last 40 years. It's Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 where Paul writes and says, Let us not become weary in doing what is good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up, if we do not give up. And whenever I think about that that verse or I read that verse, here's the phrase that comes to my mind. It's always too soon to quit. When it comes to the business of living the Christian life, and that involves so many relational aspects of love, starting with our responsibility to love one another in the family of God, don't get lazy. Don't give up. It's always too soon to quit. Hang in there. Then he goes on in verse 11. That was Romans 12, uh, verse 11, what we might call... A, then he goes on to Romans 12, verse 11, what we might call B, and he says, keep your spiritual fervor. That's a great reminder and encouragement to all of us when it comes to our spiritual lives. The word fervor (coughs) that he uses there is the Greek word zeo, zeo, and literally it means to boil. The practical meaning is he's saying, when he says, keep your spiritual fervor, he's basically saying, make sure that you're boiling over with the spirit, boiling over with the spirit, overflowing in your life with the spirit. Uh, when I went to Bible college, I got my very first study Bible, and uh, because that was a long time ago, uh, the best study Bible at the time was in the Revised Standard Version. So I got this Revised Standard Version study Bible, and these, this part of Romans chapter twelve and verse eleven in the Revised Standard Version of the Bible is, uh, or, excuse me, reads like this: "Being aglow with the Spirit, being aglow with the Spirit." Boiling over with the Spirit, being aglow with the Spirit. Nothing will drive our relationships inside the family of God more than being uh, someone who is boiling over or a glow with the Spirit. Let me give you another term for it. Than someone who is being filled with the Spirit. Why do I say that? Well, look at these words on the screen from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is where Paul describes what he calls the fruit of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, having said that, I want you to understand that when we're boiling over with the Spirit, when we're aglow with the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to have those, the manifestation of those things in our lives in a very real way. And they're going to enhance all of our family relationships. They're going to enhance the family bond we have in the family of God. All of us have the ability to love someone on our own. But that love, in in to some degree, is always going to be flawed and imperfect because our capacity to love as human beings, as finite human beings, is limited. But when we're boiling over with the spirit when we're aglow with the spirit when we're filled with the spirit our capacity to love grows to a much greater level because when we're filled with the spirit the very presence of god is living inside of us controlling and directing our lives and i don't think it's just an accident friends that when paul lists the different fruit of the spirit the very first thing he says is the fruit of the spirit is love love because we're supposed to lead with love in our lives then we go on, Romans chapter 12, verse 11, what we might call uh, C, the third part of the verse, he says, serving the Lord. And so really, and honestly, you know, you have to kind of connect the, those, these last two statements together uh, where you read it like this, uh, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. They're really connected uh, because our service to the Lord gives us specific or a definite purpose to our boiling over or being aglow or being filled with the Spirit. It reminds us that, that boiling over or, or being aglow or being filled with the Spirit is not just some ecstatic state, it has a purpose and a direction. And one of the most important purposes and direction of being filled with the Spirit uh, is loving our brothers and sisters in the family of God. Then you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 12 in the first part of the verse, what we might call Romans twelve twelve a and Paul says, be joyful in hope. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, hope always has to do with what God has promised us that we have not yet seen or experienced? And and this is important for us to understand that because having this hope in our lives as believers is something that should really set us apart from the rest of the world because our view of life, it means our view of life and our vision of life is not limited only by what we can see because we always hang on to the hope of what we can't see. The Bible calls that faith. That's the very definition of faith that we read in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 where the writer says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And so let me ask you a question. Who who wouldn't want to spend time around or be in a relationship with someone who had that kind of hope in their life? Who was always joyful in hope? Who wouldn't want to be loved by someone who was always joyful in hope because they would always be such a positive influence and blessing on your life? And then you go on to Romans chapter 12, verse 12, what we might call B, And he says, not only are we to be um, joyful in hope, but he says we're to be patient in affliction. And honestly, this is the other side of being joyful in hope. If you look at it like a coin, one side would be being joyful in hope, and the other side of the coin would be being patient in affliction. Because sometimes as we wait in hope for God to reveal his blessing, for God to reveal his plan, for God to reveal his war- reward, we can suffer Sometimes as we wait, we can suffer in different ways. But we need to be patient in our suffering, not because we're resigned to a, oh, whatever's going to happen is going to happen attitude, but because we trust in the wisdom of God and the plan of God. And so in patience, we know that ultimately he's going to show up and ultimately he's going to make things right. Ultimately, he's going to bring some kind of a blessing into our life or the lives. Of others. And so we're patient in affliction. And who wouldn't want to be around somebody who had that quality? Who wouldn't want to have a relationship with somebody who had that quality? That could have a tremendous impact on our lives. We go on, and now Romans chapter 12, verse 12, what we might call C, the third part of the verse, he says, Be faithful in prayer. And the basic meaning here is simple it's just no matter what, whatever happens, we continue to pray. We never ever stop praying, and we don't just pray for ourselves. We pray for others in the family of God because we love one another. We're devoted to one another in brotherly love. Then you go on and you get down to um, uh, verse 13. And he says, share with God's people who are in need. And so we're just reminded that as we're a part of the family of God, we have a responsibility to be generous. We demonstrate our love for one another in the family of God by being generous when we become aware of needs. And while the word generosity makes us think immediately about money, generosity can come in a variety of different ways. There's a variety of ways we can be generous with one another in the family of God. And this is a responsibility we have in the family of God. I think about what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10 when he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And then he added these words, especially those who belong to the family of God. We have an opportunity or a responsibility rather when we, when we learn of opportunities and needs to be generous with the family of God. And then finally, in the last part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, he just says, practice hospitality. And that word hospitality that Paul uses there is an Uh, An interesting word in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek Greek word philonexia. And so it it comes from the word phileo, which, again, is one of the four Greek words for love. It's friendship love. And then that word nexia really is a reference to strangers. And so literally, the word hospitality here means love to strangers. And you know what that means, friends? And this is one of the great things about the family of God. Okay, One of the great things about the family of God is it stretches beyond the people that we see and that we know all around the world to everyone who is a believer. And so there are going to be people in the family of God that we don't know. But we still have an obligation to love them as a brother and sister in Christ. And a part of that love sometimes needs to be demonstrated through hospitality and caring for them and providing for them and on and on and on. Well, I know I did that really quickly. I hope that gives you a little bit of a better understanding about what this love that we are supposed to have for one another in the family of God looks like on a practical level. But I went to them quickly so I could close by once again going back and talking for just a few minutes about the very first part of our text where Paul writes and says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. This is something that's kind of been pressing on my heart for the last couple of weeks. Let me just ask you a question. What are what are we going to do as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ? What are we going to do to develop and live out that natural normal family love that God commands? That 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 love like I illustrated in my physical family, when my nephew's baby was born. And the reason why I ask that is because <clears throat> when someone is born into the family of God, it's not like a baby being born into our families. We don't necessarily just automatically love all of our brothers and sisters in Christ because, you know, some people are difficult to love. And when I say some people are difficult to love, Uh, just to be clear, I'm talking about people like me because I know sometimes I'm difficult to love. So what are we going to do? What's it going to take to love one another in the family of God? What's it going to take for us to love one another in this church that we're a part of, this spiritual community that we're a part of here in Greenwood, Indiana and Indianapolis, Indiana? This multi-generational church So people of all ages, from all different kinds of backgrounds, with all different kinds of preferences and all different kinds of opinions and on and on and on. What's it going to take for us to love one another in the family of God? Well, this is the only answer that I could come up with. It's going to take enough spiritual maturity to choose, choose to love one another. Have you ever gotten... Mad at someone in your physical family? Did you ever stop loving them? You ever been disappointed by someone in your physical family? A spouse, children, a brother, a sister, aunt, an uncle, cousin, whoever it might be? Did you stop loving them? Ever disagreed with somebody in your physical family? Did you stop loving them? You ever been hurt? by someone in your physical family? Did you stop loving them? We need to embrace that same commitment to love in the family of God. I know that those kinds of things have happened in our families, all of our families. They've happened in my family. Over the years as a pastor, I've had untold numbers of conversations with parents who are hurt and devastated by decisions that their children have made, directions that their children have taken in their lives Uh, things that their children have uh, forsaken and neglected in their lives. And the reason why their hearts are so broken is because they still so desperately love their children. We need to embrace that same commitment to love one another in the family of God. That natural, normal family love. Can I be brutally honest with you for a minute as we close? There are a few things that have disappointed me more over the years as a pastor in the local church than the way Christians sometimes treat other Christians. And I've seen a lot of disappointing things over the past 40 years of my life. I mentioned earlier, I thought our message from our guest speaker, Jeff Vines, this past week was really powerful. And let me tell you one of, if not the most impactful thing that he said, at least to me, and I'm sure it was just the way that it hit me, Toward the end of his message, he said, we don't need to die for temporary kingdoms. We need to live for eternal ones. I think one way he said it was, we don't need to keep dying for temporary kingdoms. We need to start living for eternal ones. And the reason why that impacted me the way it did was because of all the times, because I've been thinking about this message for a couple of weeks, is because all the times I've seen brothers and sisters in Christ fall into disagreements about different things. And it's almost never about biblical truth or biblical interpretation or doctrinal purity or anything like that. Oftentimes, it's just non-essential things. And end up being so prideful and so stubborn in their opinion and their position that Relationships were severed, oftentimes in sad and ugly and hurtful ways. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't, at times, legitimate reasons why relationships end. But pride and stubbornness over nothing more than matters of opinion shouldn't be one of them. And here's the truth. As a part of the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to end up spending eternity together. And I have to believe that it genuinely grieves the heart of God when he sees us divided and dismissive. When he hears us say hurtful things about one another. I have to believe that genuinely grieves the heart of God who wants us. This is what he wants for us. This is his will. It's communicated to us through the pen of the Apostle Paul. He wants us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. He wants us to be lovingly loving to one another in brotherly love. And so that's my strong encouragement to everyone today. And to start with myself because I'm guilty of this so much of the time. What we learned about this love that's supposed to characterize our lives in Romans chapter 12 so far is that it begins with us. Our love must be sincere, genuine, real. And we know that it is when we hate what is evil and we cling to what is good. And then as it begins to work its way out, first, it works its way out in our love for one another in the family of God, our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what God wants to see. Let's honor God by doing that, by obeying this part of his will. I'm going to close with a prayer, and I'm just going to simply pray that God would help us to honestly, sincerely, genuinely be a church that loves one another. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the chance to open up your Bible and study this powerful passage of scripture. And today, really specifically, I pray that you would move among us here in this church that that started here in Greenwood and has now spread its way out in different parts of Indianapolis. This large, multi-generational church filled with people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of circumstances, with all different kinds of opinions, And I pray that your spirit would capture us so deeply and so strongly, change us so powerfully that we would begin to really demonstrate, every time we have an opportunity, what it looks like to love one another in a way that honors you. To be devoted to one another, lovingly loving to one another in brotherly love. That is my prayer And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.